Chapters six and seven of Recollections of Napoleon at St. Helena by Elizabeth Balcom Abel. Six from the thicket the man hunter sprung my cries echoed loud through the air there was fury and wrath on his tongue he was deaf to the voice of despair the slave the only exception to the emperor's habits of regularity when with us was in his hour of rising in the midst of our garden was a very large pond of transparent water full of gold and silver fish and near this was the grapery formed of trellis-work quite covered with vines of every description at the end of the grapery was an arbour round and over with a trellis of grapes clustered in the richest profusion to this spot which was so sheltered as to be cool in the most sultry weather napoleon was much attached he would sometimes convey his papers there as early as four o'clock in the morning and employ himself until breakfast-time in writing and when tired of his pen in dictating to la case no one was ever permitted to intrude upon him when there and this little attention was ever after gratefully remembered from this prohibition however i was exempt at the emperor's own desire i was considered a privileged person even when he was in the act of dictating a sentence to la case he would come and answer my call come and unlock the garden door and i was always admitted and welcomed with a smile i did not abuse this indulgence and seldom intruded on him when in his retreat i remember however one day a very pretty young lady came from the valley to pass the morning with us she was dying to see napoleon but the heat was very oppressive and he had retired to his arbour to avoid it i hesitated for some time between the fear of disturbing him and disappointing my friend but at last miss c appeared so mortified at not seeing him that i ran down to the garden and knocked at the door for a long while i received no answer but at length by dint of thumping and calling to the emperor i succeeded in waking him he had fallen asleep in the arbour over his papers he came up to the door and asked me what i wanted i said let me in and you shall know he replied no tell me first what it is and then you shall come in i was then obliged to say i wished to introduce a young lady to him he declined seeing her and desired me to say he was unwell i told him she would be dreadfully disappointed and that she was so pretty not like the lady i was obliged to say agreeable things to yesterday he rejoined i assured him she was quite a different person being very young and handsome at last i succeeded in getting the door opened as soon as i found it unlocked i ran up to the table where he had been writing and snatched up his papers now i said for your ill-nature in keeping me so long at the door i shall keep these and then i shall find out all your secrets he looked a little alarmed when he saw the papers in my hand and told me to put them down instantly but i refused and set off round the garden flourishing my trophies at last he told me if i did not give them up he would not be my friend and i relinquished them i then took hold of the emperor's hand for fear he should escape and led him to the house where we found miss c i introduced her to napoleon and he delighted her excessively by his compliments on her beauty etc when she was going away he walked down the lawn with her and lifted her on to her horse he told me after she was gone that she was a very pretty girl but had the air of a marchande de mode the golden fruit in this modern garden of hesperides had for its dragon an old malay slave named toby who had been captured and brought to the island as a slave many years before and had never since crossed its boundary he was an original and rather an interesting character a perfect despot in his own domain he never allowed his authority to be disputed 
and the family stood almost as much in awe of him as they did of the master of the briars himself napoleon took a fancy to old toby and told papa he wished to purchase him and give him his freedom but for some political reason it was not permitted the old man retained afterwards the most grateful sense of napoleon's kindness and was never more highly gratified than when employed in gathering the choicest fruit and arranging the most beautiful bouquets to be sent to longwood to that good man bony as he called the emperor napoleon made a point of inquiring whenever i saw him after the health of old toby and when he took his leave of him he presented him with twenty napoleons the emperor was very accessible while at the briars and knowing how much it would delight us he seemed to wish to return any little attentions we were able to offer him by courtesy and kindness to our friends my father one day during his residence with us invited a large party and the emperor said he would join us in the evening he performed his promise and delighted every one with his urbanity and condescension when any of our guests were presented to him he usually inquired his profession and then turned the conversation upon some topic connected with it i have often heard wonder expressed at the extent of napoleon's information on matters of which he would hardly have been expected to know much on this occasion a very clever medical man after a long conversation with the emperor on the subject of his profession declared his astonishment to my father at the knowledge he possessed and the clearness and brilliancy with which he reasoned on it though his theories were sometimes rather heterodox napoleon told him he had no faith whatever in medicine and that his own remedies were starvation and the warm bath at the same time he professed a higher opinion of the medical or rather surgical profession than of any other the practice of law he said was too severe an ordeal for poor human nature adding that he who habituates himself to the distortion of truth and to exultation at the success of injustice will at last hardly know right from wrong so it is he remarked with politics a man must have a conventional conscience of the church also les ecclesiastiques he spoke harshly saying that too much was expected from its members and that they became hypocrites in consequence as to soldiers they were cutthroats and robbers and not the less so because they were ready to send a bullet through your head if you told them your opinion of them but surgeons he said are neither too good nor too bad their mission is to benefit mankind not to destroy mystify or inflame them against each other and they have opportunities of studying human nature as well as of acquiring science the emperor spoke in high terms of lorry who he said was a man of genius and of unimpeachable integrity on the emperor's first arrival in st helena he was fond of taking exploring walks in the valley just below our cottage in these short walks he was unattended by the officer on guard and he had thus the pleasure of feeling himself free from observation the officer first appointed to exercise surveillance over him when at longwood was a captain poppleton of the fifty-third regiment it was his duty to attend him in his rides and the orders given on these occasions were that he was not to lose sight of napoleon the latter was one day riding with generals bertrand montelon gourgaud and the rest of his suite along one of the mountainous bridle paths at st helena with the orderly officer in attendance suddenly the emperor turned short round to his left and spurring his horse violently urged him up the face of the precipice making the large stones fly from under him down the mountain and leaving the orderly officer aghast gazing at him in terror for his safety and doubt as to his intentions although equally well mounted none of his generals dared to follow him 
either captain poppleton could not depend on his horse or his horse was unequal to the task of following napoleon and giving it up at once he rode instantly off to sir george cockburn who happened at the time to be dining with my father at the briars he arrived breathless at our house and setting all ceremony aside demanded to see sir george on business of the utmost importance he was ushered at once into the dining-room the admiral was in the act of discussing his soup and listened with an imperturbable countenance to the agitated detail of the occurrence with captain poppleton's startling exclamation of oh sir i have lost the emperor he very quietly advised him to return to longwood where he would most probably find general bonaparte this as he prognosticated was the case and napoleon often afterwards laughed at the consternation he had created on captain poppleton's arriving at longwood he found the emperor seated at dinner and was unmercifully quizzed by him for the want of nerve he displayed in not daring to ride after him the emperor's vanity was flattered at having still the power to create fear though a captive in such a prison as the impregnable island of st helena i have mentioned being struck with napoleon's seat on horseback on first seeing him he one day asked me whether i thought he rode well i told him and with the greatest truth that i thought he looked better on horseback than any one i had ever seen he appeared pleased and calling for his horse he mounted and rode several times at speed round the lawn making the animal wheel in a very narrow circle and showing the most complete mastery over him one day archambault his groom was breaking in a beautiful young arab which had been brought for the emperor's riding the colt was plunging and rearing in the most frightful manner and could not be induced to pass a white cloth which had been purposely spread on the lawn to break him from shying i told napoleon it was impossible that he could ever ride that horse it was so vicious he smiled and beckoning to archambault desired him to dismount and then to my great terror he himself got on the animal and soon succeeded in making him not only pass the cloth but put his feet upon it and then rode him over and over it several times archambault as it seemed to me hardly knew whether to laugh or cry he was delighted with his emperor's prowess but mortified at his managing a horse so easily which he had been trying in vain to subdue napoleon mentioned that he had once ridden a favourite grey charger one hundred and twenty miles in one day it was to see his mother who was dangerously ill and there were no other means of reaching her the poor animal died in the course of the night he said that his own power of standing fatigue was immense and that he could almost live in the saddle i am afraid to say how many hours he told me once he had remained on horseback but i remember being much surprised at his powers of endurance his great strength of constitution was probably more instrumental than one would imagine at first view in enabling him to reach the pinnacle of his ambition the state of the mind is so dependent on the corporeal frame that it is difficult to see how the kind of mental power which is necessary to success in war or political turmoil can exist without a corresponding strength of body or at least of constitution in how many critical periods of napoleon's life would not the illness of a week have been fatal to his future schemes of empire how might the sternness of purpose by which he subjugated his daring compeers of the revolution have been shaken and his giant ambition thwarted by a trivial sickness the mind of even a napoleon might have been prostrated and his mighty will enfeebled by a few days fever the successful leader of a revolution ought especially to be exempt from the evils to which flesh is heir his very absence from the arena for a few days is enough to ruin him depreciating reports are spread 
the prestige vanishes and he is pushed from his stool by some more vigorous and more fortunate competitor seven good humour there and gay goodwill and each still pleased and pleasing still kneel but first he flew i forgot to say that he hovered a moment upon his way to look upon leipzig plain byron the emperor possessed a splendid set of china of the sevres manufacture which had been executed at an enormous cost and presented to him by the city of paris the service was now unpacking and he sent for us to see them they were painted by the first artists in paris and were most lovely each plate cost twenty-five napoleons the subjects all bore reference to his campaigns or to some period of his early life many of them were battle-pieces in which the most striking incidents were portrayed with the utmost spirit and fidelity others were landscapes representing scenery connected with his victories and triumphs one i remember made a great impression on me it was a drawing of napoleon on the bridge of arcola a slim youth standing almost alone with none near but the dead and dying who had fallen around him was cheering on his more distant comrades to the assault the emperor seemed pleased at my admiring it and putting his hand to his side exclaimed laughing i was rather more slender than i am now the battle of leipzig was one of the subjects depicted on the china napoleon's figure was happily done and an admirable likeness but one feels rather surprised at the selection of such a subject for a complimentary present i believe the battle of leipzig is considered to have been one of the most disastrous defeats on record but probably the good citizens of paris were not so well aware of this at the time the china was presented to him as they now are his campaign in egypt furnished subjects for some of the illustrations the ibis was introduced in several of these egyptian scenes and happening to have heard that that bird was worshipped by the egyptians i asked him if it were not so he smiled and entered into a long narration of some of his adventures with the army in egypt advising me never to go there as i should catch the ophthalmia and spoil my eyes i had also heard that he had professed mahometanism when there and i had been prompted by some one to catechize him on the subject i at once came out with the question in my anglo-french pourquoi avez-vous tourné turc he did not at first understand me and i was obliged to explain that tourné turc meant changing his religion he laughed and said what is that to you fighting is a soldier's religion i never change that the other is the affair of women and priests quant à moi i always adopt the religion of the country i am in at a later period some italian ecclesiastics arrived at st helena and were attached to napoleon's suite amongst the emperor's domestics at the briars was a very droll character his lamplighter a sort of liparello a little fellow most ingenious in making toys and other amusing mechanical contrivances napoleon would often send for the scaramouche to amuse my brothers who were infinitely delighted with his tricks and buffooneries sometimes he constructed balloons which were inflated and sent up amidst the acclamations of the whole party one day he contrived to harness four mice to a small carriage but the poor little animals were so terrified that he could not get them to move and after many ineffectual attempts my brothers entreated the emperor to interfere napoleon told them to pinch the tails of the two leaders and when they started the others would follow this he did and immediately the whole force scampered off to our great amusement napoleon enjoying the fun as much as any of us and delighted with the extravagant glee of my two brothers 
i had often entreated the emperor to give a ball before he left the briars for longwood in the large room occupied by him and which had been built by my father for that purpose he had promised me faithfully he would but when i pressed him urgently for the fulfilment of his word he only laughed at me telling me he wondered i could be so silly as to think such a thing possible but i never ceased reproaching him for his breach of faith and teased him so that at last to escape my importunities he said that as the ball was out of the question he would consent by way of amende honorable to anything i chose to demand to console me for my disappointment dites-moi que veux-tu que je fasse mademoiselle betsy pour te consoler i replied instantly if you will play the game of blind man's buff that you have so often promised me i will forgive you the ball and never ask for it again not knowing the french term if there be any for blind man's buff i had explained before to the emperor the nature of the operation to be gone through he laughed at my choice and tried to persuade me to choose something else but i was inexorable and seeing his fate inevitable he resigned himself to it with a good grace proposing we should begin at once my sister and myself and the son of general bertrand and some other of the emperor's suite formed the party napoleon said we should draw lots who should be blindfolded first and he would distribute the tickets some slips of paper were prepared on one of which was written the fatal word la mort and the rest were blanks whether accidentally or by napoleon's contrivance i know not but i was the first victim and the emperor taking a cambric handkerchief out of his pocket tied it tightly over my eyes asking me if i could see i cannot see you i replied but a faint gleam of light did certainly escape through one corner making my darkness a little less visible napoleon then taking his hat waved it suddenly before my eyes and the shadow and the wind it made startling me i drew back my head ah little monkey he exclaimed in english you can see pretty well he then proceeded to tie another handkerchief over the first which completely excluded every ray of light i was then placed in the middle of the room and the game began the emperor commenced by creeping stealthily up to me and giving my nose a very sharp twinge i knew it was he both from the act itself and from his footstep i darted forward and very nearly succeeded in catching him but bounding actively away he eluded my grasp i then groped about and advancing again he this time took hold of my ear and pulled it i stretched out my hands instantly and in the exaltation of the moment screamed out i have got you i have got you now you shall be blindfolded but to my mortification it proved to be my sister under cover of whom napoleon had advanced stretching his hand over her head we then recommenced the emperor saying that as i had named the wrong person i must continue blindfolded he teased and quizzed me about my mistake and bantered me in every possible way eluding at the same time with the greatest dexterity all my endeavours to catch him at last when the fun was growing fast and furious and the uproar was at its height it was announced that some one desired an audience of the emperor and to my great annoyance as i had set my heart on catching him and insisting on his being blindfolded our game came to a conclusion End of chapter six and seven